I love that in the prayers for the people, we are reminded to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. When I think of family, I picture a table. And specifically, I picture my grandmother's table. Um, I got to grow up in the same town as my grandparents. And I loved sitting at my grandmother's table. When the family gathered around that table, I always positioned myself, or maybe my mother placed me there, I don't know, to the right of my grandfather, who sat at one end of the table. And my grandma usually sat at the other end, which was you know, closest to the kitchen, so she could get up and uh, get whatever anyone needed. Around that table, my family shared Sunday dinners, birthday suppers, games of rummy cub and zilch. It was at that family table where I remember watching my grandmother <clears throat> reading her Bible, sharing time with Jesus at the family table. Family shared stories and laughter and sad news and tears, celebrations and hardships. I remember during my college uh, years, I. Um, during the job that I had during the summertime, I would go and have lunch with my grandparents at that table. And then other times, there'd be big family reunions, and so we'd have to bring in other tables to accommodate the number of people gathered. You know, often, the family that gathered around my grandmother's table included family that was not related by blood. I became family to many that were not my blood-related family because of the way my grandparents loved others. Connie and Mark, Lois and Don, the Rabs, Rob Queering, and other names that I've since forgotten. My grandparents loved the way that they did because they knew that Jesus loved them. It was in response to that love. Recently, my mom's brother gave me a copy of his Ancestry.com report, and so we can see, um, you know, the bloodline for the Christofferson family uh, all the way back to, like, the 1700s, I don't know, maybe even farther back. But I am also connected to another family. I am connected to you. As we consider Jesus today, I want us to consider two family bloodlines. The human bloodline of Jesus and the new kingdom family bloodline of Jesus. You know, God brought salvation to us through a family. In Matthew and Luke, we have Jesus's Ancestry.com report. When we look all the way back to Genesis, we read that after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, God gave them a promise of redemption to hold on to. In Genesis 3.15, God is speaking to the serpent who had deceived them, and he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, 
He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. It was in that initial promise that we learned that our salvation would come through a human family, specifically through a woman, the offspring of a woman. Today, I, wanted to, I want to remind us that Jesus was part of a family, and his death impacted his human family. In the verses we will be talking about today, we learn about specific people who witnessed Jesus' death firsthand. I want to start in John 19, and I'm going to start at verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture that says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. So as I started imagining this scene at the cross, I was thinking about that tunic. A tunic that was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. I think that description speaks of something precious. My mom made a lot of the clothing that I wore growing up, and she put a lot of love and heart into making those clothes. And I just wondered if that tunic had been something that Mary had woven for Jesus. And if she hadn't made it, maybe she had squirreled away some money so that she could buy this tunic for her eldest son, the son who had taken over as the head of their household when Joseph had died. Mary witnessed her son's cruel and painful death. Sons are not supposed to die before their moms. What would it be like to watch your son die at criminal's death? Mary knew Jesus like no other. I love how at the end of John's gospel, it says, now there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them written? I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Mary, his mom, had some stories. Again, I'm reminded of a family table. In our family, we have, or when the girls were growing up, we had specific places for them. It started because Randy 
um, developed a seating arrangement so that Ruby and Josie would not fight over who got to sit by mommy. In the, at my, in the table I grew up at, my mom and dad's table, my mom always sat right next to my dad. Now that she is in heaven, that place is empty. And so I think about Mary, and Jesus' death was a loss in their family. How many times had Mary and Joseph and Jesus and his siblings gathered around the table together? How many times had Mary prepared a Passover meal to share with her son, the Lamb of God? Mary experienced who Jesus is for 30 years before his public ministry began. She loved her son, and she learned love from her son. Sons are not supposed to die before their mom. Innocent people are not supposed to be charged with a crime, let alone a sentence of execution. I wonder if on that day, Mary remembered what an older gentleman by the name of Simeon prophesied over Jesus when he was eight days old. And he said to Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. 33 years before this, God had asked Mary to have faith and to give birth to his son to be family to God the Son. Can you go on to the next slide? <clears throat> How hard must it have been for Jesus to watch his mother go through the pain and anguish, watching him die, such a cruel death? I wonder if that was part of his cry the night before in the garden, when he said, Abba, Father, remove this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Was the knowledge that his mother would experience the trauma of his death, of watching him beaten and bloody and hanging on a cross and dying a slow, painful death, was that part of that cup that he asked the Father to remove? But remember, as Randy read for us earlier, Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So I wonder if in order to endure the agony that he was going through, Jesus in, was saying, Mama, I'm dying for you. John, I'm dying for you. Mary, I'm dying for you. Reality Church, I'm dying for you. There was a human family cost when Jesus endured the cross for our sake. Mary lost her son that day. Jesus endured his own pain and the pain his mother experienced that day. So when 
when Jesus said this, woman, behold your son, most people connect it to the next part where he's talking to John also, and he says, behold your mother. But is it possible that he was also speaking to Mary and saying, look, your faith in God is rewarded today. Behold, your son. Reminding us that the woman's offspring was crushing our deceiver's head. God had asked Mary to be part of the human bloodline of Jesus, and now he was providing a way to be part of the eternal family of God. Jesus established a new bloodline that day at the cross. All who by faith come to Jesus at the foot of the cross are washed by his blood. We are all family through the new bloodline of Jesus. We know that Jesus had brothers and sisters too. It would make sense for Mary to go and live with one of them, but that's not what her eldest son instructed. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. What Jesus is asking John to do cuts across our familial expectations. To love and care for someone as a mother outside of his own family? Man, when we're asked to, to be family, that cuts across our desire for comfort, for ease. Jesus calls his people to be family. You know, earlier in Jesus' time of teaching, he talks about the family of God that he had come to establish. In Luke 8, Jesus has been teaching a large group of people, and in verses 19 and 21, we read, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God. And do it. Now, at first, when you read that, you might go, Whoa, that seems kind of harsh. Jesus, that wasn't very nice to your mom and your siblings. But you know, the very next sentence in Luke 8, it says, One day. So we don't get to see what else happened in this scene here. The important thing to remember is that Jesus was saying to the people who were gathered, if you hear my word, God's word, and do it, if you obey God's word, you are my family, and I love you the way that I love my mother and my brothers and sisters. Again, take a look at who is mentioned at the foot of the cross. We have Mary, his mother, 
John, Mary Magdalene. There's a robber, right, that was going to be with him in paradise that day. You've got all sorts of people. Those who obviously belong, Jesus' mother, his aunt, John, his really good friend. But you also have some people with some sketchy pasts. A new family bloodline was created that day at the foot of the cross. A great big family that stretches across the globe and throughout time. You know that saying, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family? Well, that goes along with God's family. We don't get to choose who we're family with. Several weeks ago during Call to Communion, I think it was Sarah Beth, invited us to imagine ourselves at the table when Jesus held that piece of bread and said, this is my body, and holding the cup of wine, he said, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. She asked us to imagine who else is sitting at that table with us. The faces that came to my mind or faces of people that are hard for me to love right now. It was so good to be reminded that I don't choose who is in my family. I don't get to choose who God asks me to love. Just like a human family, when disagreements emerge and there's broken relationships, we are still family. Imagining those people seated at Jesus' table softened my heart toward them. He reminded me that he loves them enough to send his son for, to die for them. God's heart is for them, so mine can be too. I think looking at John... And what John wrote, both here and in his letters, shows us how we can love people that feel hard to love. So look at how John refers to himself in this ep. Oh, can you go back one slide? Sorry. Oh, no, wait a minute. Can you go back? Uh, yeah, right there. Thank you. <laughs> um, notice what he calls himself. John says, the disciple whom he loved. We see that other places. In fact, the whole gospel of John, he never calls himself by name. He says, that disciple. And the night of um, the last Passover, um, the night Jesus was betrayed, we know that... Um, He's referred to that way. It says, excuse me, John 13, 23 says, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table with, at Jesus' side. I think that the reason he refers to himself as 
the one that Jesus loved, is because he knew who he was. He knew he was loved by God. And that, that defined him. Because he was loved by God, he could then love others. He could bring Mary into his own home. Knowing that God loves us allows us then to love others. When we know the love of God in Christ Jesus, our response is love. Here's what, now we can go to the next one. Thank you. So here's what Jesus said later on that night. He said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one. One united family. We're not there yet, are we? No. But God's got us. So after that Sunday that God used Sarah Beth to, to remind me of that to remind me of these people who are also sitting at God's table. Um, he invited me to start meditating on 1 John 4, 7 through 12. I'm learning about love. Did you know in 1 John, the word love is mentioned 46 times? That's a lot of love. And again, I just think that over his lifetime, John had learned what it meant that God loved him. Now, if you, <laughs> if you grew up, uh, you know, when I grew up, you might start singing the song in your head that goes with these verses. Uh, I'm not going to do it for you. But, you know, that's a good thing because that helps us start meditating on those verses. 1 John 4, 7 through 12 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. That's how we show God's love. That's how we learn God's love, is through each other. We are invited to participate in the new bloodline of Jesus that shows the world the love of God. We do that by grounding ourselves in the truth that we are loved by God. Reunited with him through the blood of Christ. And when we are grounded in Christ's love for us, then our family DNA will come out as we love others. And the world will know that God is love. So, as we have considered Jesus today, what is God inviting you to consider? Is he drawing you closer to the cross so that you experience how deeply you are loved? Is he asking you to be family to someone someone that maybe you would not necessarily choose to love. And that can start with simply praying for that person, getting to know them, and then maybe inviting them to your table. Recently, I listened to a song that Parfait wrote, and I asked if he would share it with us today, because I think it illustrates that idea of God's family. And after he sings the first song for us, then he'll invite us to sing with him. So, as Parfait is coming up, will you pray with me? Oh, Father God, thank you. Thank you. For providing a way for us to be your daughters and your sons, for us to be brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers to each other. God, your family, there's a lot of broken relationships within your big family of God. And so we ask, God, that you would continue to work in our hearts, that we would have grace and love for each other, and that we would learn to live more like family. Thank you so much that you love us so, so much. In Jesus' name, amen.